0: We're in Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, I'm continuing a series up in arms which is about spiritual warfare and then uh, where we're at in the series is I'm on, I'm on uh, the second part of a message that we started. We first talked about the belt of truth, all right, it's very important. Y'all know Satan is a liar and he disguises himself and he, he listen, he causes us to trip more through fraud than with force. Now, I know this is silly season, right? It's Halloween, paranormal activity, part 21 is out in the theaters today. Uh, And I know that when we think of Satan and demons, we think about snake handling in the church and rattling outside of the church, right? Some of that is true. Listen, there are snake handlers in the church, not this church. Uh, We only do that quarterly, but... Uh, but uh, but uh, And outside of the church, there certainly is such a thing as demon possession And I think as Americans, we have explained a lot of that away through uh, psychological terms We've become efficient in our language and, and everything And listen, there are some things that really do require uh, medicine We are pro-medicine, we love modern technology My wife, when she was having all four of our children, she got the shot, amen And that was good for me That was good for me. The painkillers were a really good thing in my own life. Uh, But, listen, there's a lot we explain away that really is demon activity. And there is such a thing as demonic uh, possession. There is such a thing as needing to pray over a home or over a person and to ask that, that demons be gone in the name of Jesus. However, I really do believe that Satan's main course of action in our life is through normal activity, not paranormal activity, and through very normal lies and disguise. More fraud than force causes us to be divided from our God. And so because he is the father of lies, Satan, the devil, God tells us to walk into the truth and to buckle up with the belt of truth. So we talked about that. The second thing is the breastplate of righteousness. We need to put that on. And that's very important that we put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I really talked a long time and at length about the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus' righteousness has been accredited to our account by faith. The way we're made right with God is by believing in Jesus. And he gives us, by faith alone, just receiving with empty hands, his righteousness. This gives us security. Now, our enemy tries to tell us all the time, you're not right with God. You you don't deserve to be at church. You shouldn't even think about being spiritual. You're not like Bob down the street who walks and levitates and has a halo around his head. You're not right with God. And until you do these 10 things in your life, God's not going to like you. And that denies the cross of Jesus. It denies the Christian message. And it denies the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So you got to put that on and protect your heart and your mind and your soul with the righteousness of Jesus. Now, where we're at is in verse 15, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. And we got to put on the right kind of shoes for spiritual warfare. We are involved in a war of intense fury, and when you go into the battlefield, you got to be wearing the right kind of shoes. Now, you can't be wearing high heels on a battlefield, amen? Listen, high heels are great. I love high heels. All of my daughters, well, three of them, really love high heels, and they're great for some occasions, Alright, but when you go to a battlefield, you gotta put on some war boots. And as a church, we can't be wearing high heels, man. We gotta put on, listen, what think about it. If you go to a battlefield in high heels, what's gonna happen to you? You're gonna trip before you get shot. You're gonna be laying there in the mud because you tripped over your high heel on the battlefield, and the enemy's just gonna come, man, that didn't work out. Bam, and you're dead. Verse 15 says, And as shoes for your feet, and the Greek word for shoes there, uh I'm a white preacher, so I have to bring up Greek all the time. Uh, (laughs) As shoes for your feet, and the Greek word for shoes there is the Roman soldier sandal-type shoe that was used specifically for war. As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So we're going to finish up that part today. Let me pray for our message, and we'll get going. God in heaven, I just thank you. I thank you for the the promise of your presence. I thank you that greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. I thank you for security, assurance, protection, that you're a refuge and a fortress, that, that you are a mighty God, but you're a loving God, and I pray that you would meet us in this time. We all are going through spiritual warfare in our life every single day. And it's not a question of if we're going to go through it, it's a question of how can we handle it. And we acknowledge right now that without your resources in our life, without your truth, righteousness, without your gospel, without your mission for us, we can't make it. So we pray that by grace you would give it to us. Give me the right words and the right demeanor and tone that measure up to your words this morning. May the the thoughts and the meditation of my heart be appropriate. And may you be glorified in all that I say, but also in who I am in this moment. And may Jesus get the glory. I pray in his name. Amen. All right, now looking closely at verse 15, let me show you something, all right? It says, We got to put on our shoes for this war. We got to get up in arms. We got to put on our shoes. And it says, As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness. Now, it's very clear that readiness is what it means to put on shoes. When we say metaphorically, put on your shoes, spiritually, that means having put on the readiness given, and here's the big question, it says in my English translation, by the gospel of peace, some English translations say readiness given for the gospel of peace. I think it should be interpreted and even translated perhaps as having put on the readiness given for, everybody say for, for the gospel of peace. That would mean That putting on shoes in spiritual warfare means you're putting on readiness given for the gospel of peace. And what we talked about last week is that the Bible always says how beautiful are the feet that bring the good news of the gospel. Even Romans chapter 10 says how can they believe unless they hear. How beautiful are the feet that bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the way we're interpreting this all right, is we're saying to put on shoes means we need to become missionaries. We need to be evangelists. As a church, we need to be a missional church. And I even went as far as to say last week that the purpose for the church, there's fellowship, there's all kinds of things we do. We do fellowship, we do life groups, we pray together, we eat meals together, we have a big church dinner, big potluck, because you can't have church unless you have potluck, amen? So we eat together, we get in life groups together, we come together on Sunday morning. There's a lot of things we do, but it's all moving in the direction of we do it for the purpose of mission. We are a fellowship. We're very different people, by the way. Y'all might not know this, but there are a few Republicans in this room. (laughs) And there are a few Democrats in this room. There are a few older people, or should I say mature And there are a few younger people, or should I say immature, right? There are kids. There are different races in our church. We have different backgrounds. We're a melting pot. And on some occasions, not all of us would be best friends if we hung out with each other for 10 minutes. We might opt out and say, I would never hang out with you typically, right? Or you might say that about me. It just depends. A lot of different personalities. So what keeps us united? What, how is it that the church of Jesus Christ can stay united even, even in the midst of diversity? How is it that we can say that we can look, realistically reach different races and economic groups, social, economic... How can we become a diverse group and stay united without beating each other up? How can we say that we have Republicans and Democrats in the same room in October in an election year and we can still all get along the reason why is cuz we're on the same mission. And the same mission is we want more people to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we can agree upon that, we can become a band of brothers and sisters, a symphony of missionaries united with the same purpose. And we might have differences on who we root for baseball, Cardinals. <laughs> we might disagree on football teams. Some of you are che- y'all know there might be, there's a few cheeseheads in here. And there's Bears fans. I'm a Cowboy fan. Dallas Cowboys. What am I doing here? I'm on mission with you. And what we have to do is put on our gospel shoes and decide together as a church, together in community, and then as followers of Jesus Christ, we got to decide that the reason why we exist is to reach more people, to baptize more people, to reach, teach, and send more people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen. Everything else we're going to do in heaven. We're going to eat together in heaven. We're going to hang out in heaven. Heaven's going to be great. Jesus said, "Don't let your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. You're going, to be, you're going to have a mansion in heaven. Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. We're going to have all the leisure time we want and all the family time we want in heaven. It's coming. It's coming quicker than you think it is. Life comes. Ninety years is no problem at all. It goes by really fast. The one good biblical activity we do on earth that we will not do in heaven is we are witnesses for the resurrection of Jesus. The one One good activity, biblical activity we do on earth that we will not do in heaven is reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why we exist. And listen, a lot of churches refuse to get on mission. They refuse to adopt that. We help people discover and develop a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because spiritually they're wearing high heels. They're going to a fancy banquet, man. They want it to be about pleasure, and they want the church to be another club. It's not. We exist for mission. We are in a war of intensity. We're on a battlefield, and we're fighting not only for each other. We're fighting for people who aren't even here at Crosspoint yet. We're fighting for people who are not here yet who are out there in the community, their marriages are jacked up, their finances are jacked up, their sexual life is jacked up, their whole life is jacked up because they're separated from God. They have no hope, no God in their life, and it's our job to make sure that they meet God. That is our job. That is gospel shoes. And let me tell you, you say, what's that got to do with spiritual warfare? Well, we've been talking a lot about defensive weapons in spiritual warfare, but the shoes are offensive. Ah, this is when a preacher just has so much fun. (laughs) Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. What are gates? They defend the fortress of the evil one. That means he's building his church to go to the gates of hell. Gates aren't offensive. Gates are defensive. That means that Jesus has put us in a place to push back darkness in people's lives, to push back darkness in culture, to push it back. And to say, we are going to eliminate another corner of darkness with the gospel of peace. We're going to make peace. We're not going to curse the darkness. We're going to light a candle. Because we know that just a flicker of a candle can overcome so much darkness. We're going to push it back in people's lives. We're going to push it back in men's lives, in women's lives. We're going to preach the gospel that God entered the world to save sinners. You see, sometimes in spiritual warfare, you got to get some attitude and say, you know, there are some things God's called me to do. Not just to protect myself. Oh, I hope the devil doesn't get me. I hope the demon doesn't get me. I'm going to hide over here. I'm going to hide in my church and hope nothing happens to me and my children. Don't hurt me. And God is saying, stand up, put on your gospel shoes, go out and be an ambassador. You are in an embassy in a foreign territory when you come to Cross Point. This ain't our home. Our country is not even our home. The kingdom of Christ is our home. And this is an embassy, and you are ambassadors, and it is dangerous. And what we have to do is pray and labor together to represent the gospel. Think about the prophecy of Jesus. Man, I feel good today. I don't know what was in my coffee I need that every Sunday, whatever's in that coffee. I got to talk to Sherry about that. All right. I mean, you write this down. Just listen to it. Isaiah 61. This is a prophecy about Jesus. And it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring. Everybody say bring. See, that's gospel shoes. Bringing it. To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. How many of y'all know somebody in your life that's brokenhearted that's not in church this morning? He's anointed you just like Jesus to take the gospel to the brokenhearted. We're sitting around in our spiritual high heels crying about what we don't have. And there are people who genuinely don't have God. And God wants to know them. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus takes that verse right there that I just read to you from Isaiah chapter 61. He goes into his hometown church, little synagogue, probably about the size of of this little church right here. Probably about this size. He goes into that synagogue, his hometown. They had watched Jesus grow up. They saw him in, in children's church and at VBS. He blew the balloons and bounced them around and did all the cool stuff. And they watched Jesus grow up. And Jesus goes in as an adult man. He goes back to his hometown. He goes into his church there in Nazareth. He goes right in the middle of the synagogue. He opens up the Bible. Isaiah 61 is the passage he goes to. He reads Isaiah 61 right there. And he said, that passage is talking about me. And I am going to take the gospel to the nations, which meant Gentiles. Everybody say Gentiles. That means you. You are religious. Did you know if you're a Gentile, you are religiously unacceptable? And Jesus told his hometown church... He told his homeboys, I am going to take the good news of God's glory, and I am going to go to the nations, and you should join me, and we're going to go save those people. And you know what it says? Those people who had loved Jesus and watched him grow up, they gnashed their teeth at him. How dare Jesus say this? Jesus is our homeboy. We watched Jesus grow up. Now he's saying he's the Messiah and that he's going to take the gospel and be a light to the world. And they try to kill him. And what Jesus was saying to them and what he's saying to us is that God is a God of expansion. That God is a... See, it's October. It's silly political season. God is pro-growth. Amen. Religion never is pro-growth. Religion is about us versus them. God is about the whole world. God is pro-growth. God wants to reach the unreachable. God wants to reach the unlovable. That's why you and I are here. We're unlovable, but we're loved. Because Jesus died for our sins. Because he rose on the third day. Because God came into the world. Because God is a missionary. And everybody who knows him, he calls to be a missionary. In fact, man, I don't know what was in that coffee. This is good stuff, man. This is all unplanned. Let me go back. Let me go back to uh, Isaiah 61. Can I tell you that the Trinity is in that prophecy? The Spirit of the Lord. Everybody say spirit. Spirit. The Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's a missionary. Somebody once said, if you're not on mission, you're not in the Spirit. You can say you're Holy Spirit-filled. You can say that you got the Holy Ghost. You can say you're controlled or influenced by the Holy Ghost. But if you're not on mission, you're not influenced by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's on mission. Holy Spirit's looking for the next person to convert. Spirit of the Lord God. Everybody say, Lord God. That always stands for the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father and the Lord God are the same. They're one and the same. The Father in heaven is a missionary God. You want to know why? Because all of his children are adopted children, and he's always adopting new children who did not originally belong to him. Of course, we know Jesus is a missionary. The whole purpose he came into, he didn't come into the, Ur, into the world to go into Palestine and say, man, this is a great resort. He didn't go to the Middle East and say, I'm really glad I chose the Middle East for my vacation time. He didn't leave heaven to go on some cruise. He left heaven to enter, to leave all of his glory, all of his robes, all of his angels to save you and me. And that means when he builds his church, his church is going to do what he does, which is be on mission. We are evangelists. We are missionaries. We are a missional church. That means as Christians, look, I ripped my Bible. Do you see this? fantastic. You can't get that in a church in Morton. All right. That means that in many ways, while we need to take good care of each other, we need to have uppermost in our mind, we are creating and building a church together, a community for people who aren't even here yet. We're praying for people who don't even know God. And what we started to talk about is as we put on these shoes and as we become missionaries and we're ready with, we're ready for the gospel. We're on our toes, not on our heels. We don't have high heels. We got boots on and we're ready. We're ready. We're ready. This is what we do when we play tennis. I play tennis with my daughter and I say, you got to stay on your toes and hit the ball like a man. All right. And so, all right, that's going to work in second service. I got a good feeling about that, but we got to be ready we got to be ready on our toes. We're gospel ready. We're ready to be witnesses. We're ready as a church to go reach more people. We are pro-growth. We are about expansion. God said in Genesis 1, go, fill the earth, multiply spiritually. We are to multiply, fill the earth with Christians. We want to convert people. Say People say about Christians, all they want to do is convert people. Amen. We want to convert people. That's what we want to do. So we got to get on our toes. But there are things. Everybody say obstacles. There are obstacles to our life and to our churches that trip us up and get us tripping. See, we start tripping over various obstacles, which keeps us from advancing the gospel. Can I give you three of them? Part of this is review, but this is really good stuff. Obstacles to becoming missionaries and becoming a missionary church as well. Number one obstacle that trips us up is legalism. True or false? Oh, it's so true. You say, what is legalism? And I know that that's a little overwhelming, but I wanted you all to have it. I read that last week. But legalism is two things. It's treating biblical standards of conduct as regulations to be kept by our own power in order to earn God's favor. It's taking biblical standards of conduct and saying, I can do this in my own strength, and if I do this, then God will find me acceptable and I can go to heaven. Two problems in that point A. First problem is you can't do God's biblical standards in your own power, amen? And the moment you think you don't need the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's biblical regulations in your life is the moment you're beginning to walk in legalism. God is not an audience and we are not performing for him. We need God not just around us. We need God on the inside of us. We need God to live in us and to live through us. We need God. Well, I don't know. I can't speak for you. I need God to empower me to do what it is he wants me to do. And if God won't empower me, it's not going to happen. And if I can get the conduct done morally, even in, but without God's help inwardly, it'll be corrupted. But secondly, uh, legalism is the erecting of specific requirements of conduct beyond, everybody say beyond, beyond the teaching of Scripture and making adherence to them the means by which a person is qualified for full participation in the local family of God, the church. This is when churches add rules to the Bible to keep the rules of the Bible, see? See? Their solution to keeping God's rules is not the Holy Spirit on the inside or regeneration or Jesus Christ living in us and through us. The the answer of legalists is if you can create rules to keep the rules, then you got rules that'll help you keep the rules of the Bible. See, they start piling on rules upon rules upon rules. So you can't wear makeup in some some cases. You can't wear certain clothes or colors or, or things like that so that... And the problem with legalism and mission, legalism makes people insecure. Legalism is inward, deep insecurity and a lack of assurance. And when you've got a church full of insecure spiritual people, you know what starts happening? Talk about zombies, man. It becomes like a Michael Jackson video, you know what I mean? Thriller, you know what I mean? <laughs> People start coming up out of the grave. They become dangerous. The reason why is because people are deeply insecure on the inside, and especially if they're insecure with God, and they don't have any assurance because of the blood and righteousness of Jesus. They start trying to earn it, and if you get in their way of them feeling better about themselves in the church, they will come after you. That's why churches in America don't grow, because oftentimes they're legalistic. And it's full of people who are deeply insecure about about whether God likes them or not. And they're so walking on eggshells, they could care less about anybody else because they're still trying to get their thing right with God. And what Jesus says is, dude, I paid the whole price. You're good. You have assurance of salvation. Let that deeply affect your conscience and your heart. Let that give you security with God because as soon as you have full security with God, you become humble in your relationship with other people. By the way, this is a great key to marriage, by the way. I'm giving you great marriage counseling. Secure people make great spouses. Insecure people don't because when you're insecure, you begin to look to your spouse to give you your security that you need. And that's a problem because we all make bad gods and we make horrible saviors, amen? But when you have the Savior in your life and you realize he has paid the full price on the cross and you are secure with God, you become humble with other people because you don't need anything from them. You can just serve them. You can reach them. You can say, I'm cool that you smell bad today. I'm cool that you don't look right today. I'm cool that your life doesn't work like my life or that your lifestyle doesn't match my view of lifestyle. I can still reach out to you and love you where you're at right now because I'm good. See, I'm good. This is good. I got to move on. I could talk about legalism forever. But the main thing is it's an offense to the cross of Jesus Christ. He paid the full price. He's redeemed us. We are purchased with the price of his blood. We belong to God. There's no separation, no condemnation, no obligation. We are free in the Holy Spirit. And the more we walk by that, the more we'll be transformed and the more we'll be humble with each other. Legalism. Here's the second thing. This is a tough one. Second thing that trips us up as missionaries and as a missional church is traditionalism. Churches come up with traditions, and these traditions uh, are preserved for such a long period of time uh, uh, that, that, you know, this is the way we've always done it. Look at it. It says, doing things a certain way, because that is the way it has always been done, binding practices without scriptural basis. Now, this is very closely tied. Legalism always creates traditionalism because you need all those props to make you feel better about yourself. In a more liturgical church, you understand, it's about tables and gold and stained glass window. And when you walk in, you feel better about yourself. Ah, this is a very liturgical feeling, churchy place. And I really like this, and it's beautiful, and I feel better about myself. And these traditions give me security. It gives me control. It's a formula I can kind of grab onto. Now, there's nothing wrong with traditions, by the way. Nothing wrong with traditions. My children and I, we have uh, traditions uh, my girls on Christmas Eve, every Christmas Eve, they and they count on this. We we have an angel food cake, and we turn off the lights on Christmas Eve night. We light candles, and I get out a guitar and play it really bad. And we sing to Jesus, and then at the very end, we put a candle on the angel food. Get it, angel food cake. Isn't that clever? And we put a, and we put a, and we put a candle on, and then we sing Happy Birthday to Jesus. And then we pray, and I read the Christmas story to them. We do this every year. My girls, they can't wait for daddy to play the guitar really bad and to sing to Jesus. It's a tradition. But there's coming a day when they're going to grow up, and they're going to get married, and I can't go to them and say, but we always did it this way. You have to come back. you got to bring your husbands. Their husbands are not going to come want to sing happy birthday to Jesus with me. Amen. They're not going to want to eat, you know, and hear my guitar playing. In fact, they won't even have husbands if their men come and hear me play guitar. (laughs) Traditionalism is when we begin to hold on to the cow that's been giving us milk all these years, and we say that because the cow gave us milk, it's now God. It becomes a sacred cow, and we say we've got to keep the cow Betsy. Betsy, if we lose Betsy, we lose our church, because Betsy's a sacred cow. This becomes a, see, traditionalism, what it does is it creates inflexible people who have no ability to accept the spontaneous movement of the Holy Spirit because God has to have it on the calendar. If it's not on the calendar, then God can't do it. We can't have any spontaneity, any mystery in the church, no flexible. We can't see doors of opportunity that God might bring this month that we never planned. Y'all know that God does plan things in our life that we don't have penciled in our calendar. You know that this week he's going to say something to you at a time that's not like in the 30 minutes that you've reserved to spend with him. He does surprising things when your eyes are open and you're looking up. He opens doors that you can't do. But when churches get into traditionalism, they can't see those open doors of opportunity. They can't move with spontaneity. They're not on their toes. They're wearing their high heels. And they're never ready to move. We always need to preach. We always need to take communion. We always need to baptize. We always need to pray. We always need to get together in fellowship. But outside of that, there's no sacred cows at Cross Point. Traditionalism. Watch out for it. Here's the final thing. Optimist causes us to trip. Syncretism. Now, think about this word. We sync up all the time as a culture, right? I've got an iPhone. Right, and what I do with my iPhone is I sync it up to my laptop. And what what happens when I when I sync up my stuff? It shares information. What's on my computer comes onto my iPhone, and what's on my iPhone goes over to my computer. That's what syncretism is. And syncretism is the combining of different, often contradictory beliefs, often while melding practices of various schools of thought. And so, what we do spiritually, religiously, and theologically is we try to we try to be worldly while at the same time being followers of Jesus, and we try to meld different worldviews together, and and, and we try to cross-dress. This happens a lot. If if a church is not legalistic and traditional, sometimes churches become contemporary and syncretistic in their theology, and they start melding together, and they begin to cross-dress with the world, While at the same time speaking the name of Jesus and preaching sermons, but their sermons are kind of watered down. They don't really deal with the difficult objections to the Christian message. They don't talk about hell or do verse-by-verse teaching or go through books of the Bible that are uncomfortable. You you might hear Song of Solomon because that's kind of funny that God talks about sex. But you won't ever hear any sermons on the book of Judges or, you know, where people are getting their arms lopped off. And you got to deal with that theologically, you won't hear sermons about hell or, or condemnation or the eternal judgment of God. You won't hear sermons about, you know, difficult uh, cultural issues like homosexuality or finances. You'll never hear m- sermons about money in these churches, rarely, because they're syncretistic. They're ha- trying to have it both ways. Let's have a nice Christian experience, but let's not really confront the world. We'll just let that lie there in people's life and their lifestyle. We'll just, we won't deal with it. And they become very syncretistic. This trips us up. This trips us up. And when we come back to Ephesians chapter 6 and we read verse 15. And it says, As shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace or given for the gospel of peace, you've got to be ready not to be tripped up. Don't be legalistic. Don't be like those Pharisees in Luke chapter 15 when they're complaining about Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Be willing to leave the 99 righteous to go reach the one lost. Don't, be, don't get into traditionalism. Enjoy your traditions while you have them, but be flexible. Be willing to change and move as God opens up opportunities to be a more inspiring community and people. And certainly don't be syncretistic in your life because that ruins your witness and that walks right into the hands of the devil. Because if we are syncretistic, we have nothing distinctive to offer to the world. We mirror the world as opposed to transform the world. We mirror culture as opposed to engaging culture to transform it in a loving and gracious way. You say, "Well, how can we? How can I put on boots?" Tell me some positive things. All right. Let's see here. I've got like eight things. All right. You ready for eight steps? That was my introduction. Now my sermon. Are you ready? All right. We're gonna put on the boots. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us, as a church, but as followers of Jesus, how to be a witness and a missionary in our time. And watch this, and then I've got like eight or nine or ten things to say about it. It says here, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now that is putting on the boots. If you want to be a missionary and an evangelist, and as a church, if you want to be a church that's going to reach more people, if you're pro-growth and you're pro-expansion, which God very much is, God's not pro-stagnation, He's pro-growth, and if we're going to be pro-growth, and if we're going to be missionaries, this is how you do it. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, here we go. Steps, and I like steps, right? You get it? Steps, here we go. We're We're taking some steps towards being missionaries today, and we're taking steps together. To being a missionary church, step number one, is that awesome? You want to be a missionary and you want to be a church that's missional and evangelistic? Step number one is enjoy Jesus. Everybody say enjoy. I got asked the best question at Vision Night this last week. And it was like, Josh, you're telling us to be missionaries and evangelists. But how do I not feel like I'm walking in works righteousness or legalistic and being forced to be a missionary and an evangelist? How do do I not feel guilty about about my issues of being a witness or a missionary? And the first step is just to enjoy Jesus, to receive, enjoy him, walk with him, get full of Christ Christ. There is no way that God wants us as a church or us as individuals to try to be witnesses of something we're emptied of. Amen? You've got to get filled with him. Because whatever you enjoy, you're going to share. And whatever you enjoy as a church, that's what you're going to defend. As a church, we've got to enjoy Jesus. you got to clap with the songs, man. Enjoy him. Lift up your hands. Don't come to church to give. Come to church to take. Don't come to church to serve. Come to church to celebrate. Get your cup filled up, man. God's not asking you to take something empty and say, I know it's empty, but if it were full, it would be really good. It all starts with worship. The reason why, the reason why missions exist in the world so says John Piper, is because worship doesn't exist in the world. Therefore, the first step in the fuel of missions and the fuel of our evangelism as a church and the fuel as a follower is to get filled with worship. Enjoy Christ. I remember I used to have to sell minivans. I know. And when I was a car salesman, what I learned was, you know, you can't sell something you don't like. And especially me, I'm a passionate person, so you're going to know when I'm upset. You're going to know when I'm happy, right? You're going to know when I'm fired up, and you're going to know when I'm bored. I'm a very transparent person, right? And uh, now, Sherry's different. My wife, Sherry, you gotta, I got to probe her to figure out where she's at, right? But she knows exactly where I'm at. And as a salesman, I have to be able to enjoy what it is I'm trying to sell. So what I would do is while the other car salesmen were, you know, because there's a lot of downtime as a salesman, and they're sitting around and they're doing this and drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes outside and all that stuff. What I was doing was I'd jump in those minivans and I'd take out the seats and I'd put them back in and I'd mess around with it and I'd hit all the buttons and I hated minivans. Oh, everybody say hate. And now that I don't have to sell them, I hate them now. I have one, and I hate that thing, right? But at that time, I started getting in there, and then I test drive them all the time. I drive them all the time. I'd ask my boss, can I just drive the cars around? He's like, drive any car you want. I was like, right on. And so I drove these cars all over, and I just got used to it, and I hit the buttons, and I, I hit the stuff on the back, and... And by the time I was done, the more I enjoyed it, the more when somebody asked about it, I was like, man, watch this. And I'd show them how to take out the sea. It was like, pow, pow, pow. And they were like, wow, I know. I'll give it to you for sticker price. <laughs> right? And they were like, I'll take it at sticker price. And can I get some undercoating to go with it? I was like, yeah, I'll give that to you. Right? You can sell what you enjoy. And the key to being a witness and the key for us as a church is to enjoy savor. Taste and see that God is good. Do you know that God is like a drink of cold water in a dry and thirsty land? And when you take that drink and you get your fill of God, and you're not trying to exchange God for other things to try to quench your thirst, but God is the one that's quenching your thirst. Christ is the one that's saving you. He's the one that's filling you up. What begins to happen is you begin to commend what you treasure, and Jesus just wants you to enjoy him. Set. He says, set apart Christ in your heart, honor Christ in your heart, and then be ready. Because when you're ready and when you're enjoying, you become distinctive. You want to share him, even if it's imperfectly. And you'll say things to people like, man, I don't know. I don't know how to say all this stuff right, but I know this much. I have a relationship with Jesus, and here's the three things he's done in my life. And, you know, I used to ask people, you know, what? Can I just tell you about him? Because I wanted to tell people about him. Enjoy Jesus. Here's the second thing support the church. Do you know that you're not alone? This is not something we have to do on our own. This is something we do together as a church. Be missionaries, reach people. We can reach people as a community. Not all of you are extroverted or you're going to go out there and say, do you know that God has a plan for your life? Do you know what you will say when you get to heaven at the pearly gates? I know that not all of you are going to go out there and do that. But together, serving together, supporting the church together, we need your time, not all of it, some of it. We need your treasure And we need your talents. We need you to serve in the children's ministry. We need you to help us with the greeting ministry. We need you to get on the city and post your picture. We need you to connect to our life groups. We need you to to get enthusiastic as a church. You being enthusiastic at the church and being here on time and laughing at the jokes and having a good time and shaking people's hands and being warm and inviting, that's helping us reach people because they're going, man, these are happy people. I thought church people were miserable people. I remember when my oldest brother, uh, when he became a Christian, and I wasn't a Christian, right? And we were very rebellious people. Our philosophy is if you can't be good, be good at it. That was our whole philosophy of life. And that got us in a lot of trouble. If you can't be good, be good at it. And I remember he got saved, and I was so depressed that he became a Christian. I was like, he's no longer going to be fun. Right? And what I had to learn and what other Christians helped me to learn is that life with God is life. He who finds God finds life. And do you know that if you read the book of Acts and you read those first Christians and the way they did church, do you know that the way they did church wasn't so much a model, it was an attitude? It was an attitude. And that attitude attracted people to their church because together they were a happy people. Together they were celebrating. Listen to, let me go, I got to go there. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 2, I'll I'll just read it. You don't even have to turn there. We don't have enough time for you to turn there, so don't. But Acts chapter, you can. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. I'm going to get an email. You told me not to turn in my Bible. You wicked little man. I knew you were bad for the church. I voted for you, but nearly didn't. Okay. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the... This is the early church. This is describing the very first church. And listen to the attitude. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all... And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. Because he's pro-growth. God is pro-growth. He added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is so awesome. Support your church, man, and you support it with your attitude and your time and your treasure and your talents. And then you go out and, and, and you tell people about your church because this is something that we don't have to do just on our own. We do it together. You know, the, the, the disciples, when Jesus sent them out to be missionaries, he didn't send them out by themselves, did he? He sent them out at least two by two. And he didn't choose just two disciples. He chose 12 disciples. And when one, w- one faded away, Judas, because Satan entered his heart to betray Jesus, when Judas fell away, they had to replace him so that they would have a complete 12. I love the fact that Jesus and God does everything in plurality and in a number and in community. God's never done anything on his own. He's always been triune. Everything has always flowed eternally through the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through a life group so support your church that's a main way that you can become a missionary here's the, here's the here's the third thing in your personal life friend people right friend them on facebook get it friend anyways friend people friend unchurched people, unbelievers, have relationships, develop a lifestyle with them, do life with people who are not in church. People want to know why I don't want to do Sunday school and Wednesday night and Thursday night and do all these programs. The reason why is because although I want you to come to church and learn, I want you to spend a lot of your life outside of the church as well, developing lifestyle, living your faith out in the real world, in the workplace, with your friends, going to concerts, doing stuff. I don't want all of your time to to get eaten up by the church. You, you have to friend people outside of the church. You've got to cultivate friendship. And I tell you, I am desperate for these friends. Sherry and I, we get desperate to know people who don't go to church. We try to get to know our neighbors next door and let their kids play with our kids. And, you know, Sherry's inviting her to Mary Kay stuff. And you know, I mean, I mean we're, we're trying to connect with people and friend people who don't go to church so we can have a relationship with them and we can share Christ with people outside of the church. Here's the fourth thing. But, no, I'm going back. I know my big red clock's talking to me, but here's the deal. This is another reason why I struggle with the whole Sunday school concept because here's what I want you to do. When you do have... And you've done lifestyle with somebody, and you've networked with somebody, and then you invite them to church, right? And they finally get it up with enough guts, and and you get enough guts to invite them to come to your church. And they sit down with you, and they haven't been in church maybe for ten years, fifteen years, maybe they have no history of church even in their previous generation. But they come to church. I don't want you to be stuck at a Sunday school before or after. I want you to bring them to church. And then I want you to go to lunch with them and spend time with them. Does that make sense? And when we have programs that take up all of our Sunday mornings, and we've got to go to three things on a Sunday morning, right? And then we're trying to invite friends to the church. We're like, well, will you come to Sunday school with me too? Come to Sunday school and then come to church. And then, and then we got, you see what I mean? Too much stuff. I want you to be able to come to church, celebrate Jesus because it's resurrection day, and then go to lunch. with. Take them to Logan's Steakhouse, which is a very good option. All right, friend people. Here's the fourth thing raise the flag, which kind of goes with friending people, but just let people know that you're a believer. Some people are unripe fruit. You're not, they're not going to become Christians. You can tell, but you need to let them know where you're at and that you're a believer, that you're a Christian. Don't hide your Christianity. Let people know. Raise the flag. I got to go through these a little quicker now. Uh, number five, tell your story. Write your testimony out. Write out or type out sometime what your life was before Christ, how you came to know Jesus, And then the results of your relationship with Jesus. Write out your story and be ready to share that story if God should open up an opportunity for you. Number six, answer objections of unbelievers and answer objection types. Try to narrow it down. Most questions and, and objections to Christianity are a smokescreen for a deeper root problem. So answer objection types. What type of objection is it? Is it a spiritual objection? Is it a science objection? Is it a. What kind of objection is it to Christianity? Answer those objections. Um, talk to me afterwards if you want to know more about that one. All right, number seven invite people to church. This is a basic one. But invite people to church, invite people to go to look at the website, invite people uh, online, invite people through Facebook, invite, use social media, but invite people to church. And again, have a plan, go to lunch with them, hang out with them, be a church that's pro-growth, that's always be, being a church for people who are not here yet. And number eight, and this is not the last step, this is something you do in the whole process, pray. Because it's the Holy Spirit who converts people, not us. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us Christians, not ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit that brings growth. And so always pray. And be praying. And listen, the more people we reach and the more corners of darkness that we take the gospel to, we're pushing back darkness. We're getting demons on their heels. We're up in arms and we're pushing it back. And we're going to the gates of hell. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus, which he is constantly building through us.